You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Donald Trump may have won last year's U.S. presidential election, but how can he and the Republican Party stay in power? Well, one political party across the Atlantic could have the answer to that question. It's using a similar mix of nationalist rhetoric, social conservatism, and populist economic policies. But instead of already being behind the eight ball, kind of like the Republicans here in the United States, they actually seem poised to stay in power for a long time. So where is this party and what's their secret sauce? We're about to find out on today's episode of Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Daniel Moss, executive editor for Global Economics in New York. The country is Poland. The party is called Law and Justice, which swept to an election victory in 2015 and has been winning, they know how to win, ever since. How? Joining us are two colleagues with close connections to both Poland and the United States who will talk about what Law and Justice has done and what Trump can learn from them. Wojtek Moskwa is our Warsaw bureau chief. He was born in Poland, grew up in the U.S., and has since returned to his native country. And here in D.C., we have Kasia Klimasinska, an editor on Bloomberg's First Word desk, who grew up in Poland and has lived in the U.S. for the last eight years. Thanks for being with us today, Wojtek and Kasia. Uh, thank you. Very nice to be here. Hi, great to be with you. Thanks. So, Wojtek, can you just sum up what law and justice has done with the state media and the court system, while at the same time providing economic handouts, lowering the retirement age? What's been their policy cocktail? Uh, law and justice won power uh, on a type of uh, election platform that may be familiar to U.S. listeners. Um, it preached about the evils of what it called a self-serving establishment, um, one that didn't care about the struggles of the working classes. Um, it said that the government must regain control over the economy so that it serves the country and its people and not multinational companies or foreign entities. Um, in foreign policy, law and justice sought to reassert Poland's national interests, which it thinks are endangered by the European Union. Uh, what may no longer come as a surprise, um, it has largely fulfilled its promises over its first year in power. 
the party launched an unprecedented child benefit program, giving families bigger welfare handouts relative income levels than in Norway and other Scandinavian countries. It lowered the retirement age, which was raised by the previous government as a way to shore up the public finances. The state-controlled companies bought back the country's second-largest bank from a foreign investors, and the bylaws of a number of companies listed on the Warsaw Stock Exchange were changed, making their top priority national interest instead of company interests. Um, it has also tried to drain the swamp or exchange the elites running the country. Um, the boards of companies where the government has a stake were rearranged. Poland also changed media rules to make the government directly responsible for public broadcasters. And soon after that, hundreds of journalists were either kicked out or forced to leave public television and radio. Perhaps most alarmingly, it has also overhauled the constitutional tribunal no less than six times in the past year in an effort to gain control over the court, which is important because it can strike down laws it sees as un unconstitutional. So, Wojtek, these sound like the kinds of things that, you know, you could envision Trump and the Republicans wanting to do, or, or some of them, at least in terms of the nationalist stance, uh, but when it comes to the economic policies, is is law and justice doing something like, you know, we give you the people some money, some economic handouts, and you let us do what we want with the government? That's certainly the assumption. Um, the handouts clearly help law and justice stay popular, um, especially among those who live in smaller cities and rural areas where wages are lower. And law and justice has no difficulty saying that its political opponents really want to get rid of the family handouts. Let's take a step back, uh, Wojtek and Kasia. Most of our listeners are probably thinking, well, hang on a second. Uh, this democracy thing, it's pretty recent in Poland. And, you know, it's less than three decades since the transition to democracy. Put the success of this party in the context of a very young democracy. Um, I think it's a, a good question and uh, it's an interesting uh, way to look at it. But, um, you know, you also have to remember that uh, after uh, Poland regained its democracy, it also uh, fairly quickly joined the, Euro uh, the European Union. So Polish people are sort of used to government telling them how things should be done. Because, you know, once the, the negotiation process with the EU started, the EU started imposing all those rules and directives. So Polish people are sort of used to, you know, the government either in Warsaw or somewhere in Brussels uh, telling them what to do. So people actually see parallels between communist rule that happened for decades and the EU's heavy hand in bureaucracy in recent years? <laughs> I'm not sure if they exactly... Uh, would uh, describe it that way. But I, I think this is something that just has always happened. So they, you know, they are not like Americans who very strongly believe that especially the federal government should not get in, in their ways. One of the big uh, differences, of course, is that Poland stands benefits a lot from being a European Union. More than $200 billion worth of aid comes in, in uh, from, from the Euro European Union budget, which helps Poland build roads and infrastructure and catch up with the richer West. You know, you're saying that um, Poland has benefited from EU membership, 
uh, and that's true. But the U.S. as a whole has also benefited from free trade in goods, services, and capital. That hasn't stopped at least a chunk of the electorate in pivotal states nominally turning against that. But then I think it's a little bit different. I mean, if you go to、uh, somebody who has lost their、uh, job in a Detroit factory, for example, you can't tell them, "Well, but you know, generally there is this trade surplus, and we benefited from those free trade deals." I don't think they would understand it or appreciate it. Whereas in Poland, there is a lot of people who literally got checks from the European Union. There are roads over which there are signs saying this road has been paid for by the European Union. So I think people, you know, really appreciate that. Nevertheless, we have seen、um, a big chunk of the electorate not being happy with its prospect.、Um, you know, Poland had a booming economy in the 1990s and last decade, and、uh, growth has slowed. It is still the fastest growth in the European Union since、uh, the Lehman Brother crisis erupted in 2008. But that doesn't resonate very well with Polish voters. Which is the same as in Detroit factories. That the fact that the U.S. has a trade surplus. Now, when we talk about Polish voters, in, in some ways the electorate there、uh, could be seen as polarized in a similar way to to Democrats and Republicans here in the U.S. who are very divided over、uh, Donald Trump's presidency、uh, and his election. Kasia, you actually have some good perspective on this. You. Grew up in the city of Krakow, which、right. heavily supports the Law and Justice Party, and you also lived for a number of years in Warsaw, where there's kind of a huge opposition. Are these divisions really apparent in Polish society the way they are in in America these days? Yeah, indeed, indeed they are. Well, so if you go to Krakow, then I, I think it's a really good lesson and it's a really good experience to help understand why Law and Justice is winning. Most of Polish people are Catholic, and especially in Krakow, where John Paul II was studying and where he was later a bishop,、uh, this faith is,、uh, you know, really strong. And people, people live by their、uh, Catholic rules; they follow what the church、uh, is is preaching. And these people tend to support law and justice because they think, you know, getting 500 zlotys a child is just the right thing for the government to do because people should have as many children as possible, or at least a lot of children. They don't really worry that oh. This will decrease,、uh, increase the deficit and the debt, and maybe lead to higher taxes in the future. They just don't think、uh, in those terms. Whereas、uh, in Warsaw, of course, there is much more、uh, population focused more on、uh, economic conditions. People obviously move to Warsaw to pursue careers, to to make more money, basically. And so、uh, the economy, ta- higher taxes are、uh, high on their radar, and they do understand that、uh, the subsidies and the pay- handouts that Law and Justice is now. Offering that this will have to somehow be paid for. Now, Kasia, your point about Krakow is an interesting one, and Paul Krugman、uh, gets at this a bit occasionally in his columns when the comparison is drawn between Trump and the populist parties of、uh, Central and Eastern Europe. The populist parties of Central and Eastern Europe, at least as far as the Polish example is concerned, have actually done some things to.、Um, Aggressively expand the social safety net. That hasn't happened here. Is that the? Is that is that a correct way of looking at things? Right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I don't think it will ever happen that <laughs> President Trump or any other president will start offering five five hundred five hundred dollars a child. <laughs> But you know, let's just talk about 
President Trump's speech from last night, where he actually did talk about several proposals that could help people, such as uh, providing paid family leave. Uh, you know, he's trying to do things that he says will help the average working person. He's promised not to cut Social Security and Medicare. He's He's promised, he, he said that any changes to Obamacare should include people with pre-existing conditions. Th these are things that, you know, a, a large part of the population could potentially get behind. Is that what we'd really need to see, these kinds of things, if, if uh, you know, Trump and the Republicans were to continue, were to retain their popularity maybe across the nation? That's an interesting question, and uh, indeed a lot of those promises were made yesterday, and you have already heard a Democrats' response that uh, they have to see the details. They would, of course, of course, they would back better health care or, uh, you know, better care for working family families. They just have to see the details. So we'll, we'll see how many of those details will actually be uh, presented and when. But I mean, I can I can see Americans. Uh, voting more eagerly for, for for people who will just make their lives easier in the near term. You mentioned uh, that membership of the EU came relatively shortly after the transition to democracy. And I guess you could say the same about NATO membership. These two things which you say people have turned against or become sceptical about, they're all bundled up together. I mean, have people stopped to think, well, wait, were we better off, you know, under the Russian thumb? I not not at all. Uh, I think there is no way back to to what was before 1989 and the collapse of communism. Um, I think generally polls are still concerned about the Russian influence in in the region, especially in. Uh, if you weaken Ukraine. the EU and NATO, isn't that the same thing? That's a that's a very good question, and that is something that that this government is trying to have both ways. Perhaps it's trying to lash out at national interests, but it doesn't want to leave the EU because it knows that collective security given by the EU and the security given by NATO, which is backed up by a strong U.S. Uh, military presence in the region. Um, is its best uh, chance of not, again, falling under the Kremlin umbrella like it did for uh, 50 years after World War II. So where does this leave both of you? Wojtek, uh, you run a news bureau for a large international media company headquartered in New York. You grew up in Pennsylvania. Kasha, you've been in the United States for the better part of a decade. You're married to an American. I'm guessing that your kids are American. So are you two basically strangers in your own land or your own culture now? I think people are, are asking themselves a lot of questions about what is Poland right now? Is it still the same country where Lech Wałęsa in um, led to uh, democracy in 1989? Or is it uh, something different, a, a country that seeks to find its own way within the European Union, perhaps on the outskirts of it, and perhaps being a bit more combative towards uh, foreign investors? 
Uh, I just, uh, I think I just want to say then that uh, I think we uh, fit right in, as you probably know uh, very well. There are Polish people everywhere. There is so many of them in New York that apparently it's very easy to get a Żywiec beer. So, um, <laughs> you know, Polish people are just curious minds. <laughs> we, we want, we like to travel. We like to try uh, different things. You know, some of us uh, come back, some of us for various reasons, uh, stay, stay overseas. But, uh, you know, we are still Polish people. <laughs> Okay, so you go home and there's not this sneering, yeah, you left, you're part of the globalist conspiracy. No, I mean, there's just so many people in London and so many uh, in the US. It's it's just what happens to some people. The Polish diaspora is, exactly. very, is very far and wide. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, we also have to consider that this type of interest that we've seen in Poland over the last year and a half, this is an international media interest, uh, is is quite amazing. It's something that, as a journalist for the last 20 years, I've, I've, I've never seen such a, such a sustained period of time where, where um, you know, the things that are happening in Poland are finding resonance in, 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 in other countries and are sometimes seen as uh, perhaps a precursor of what could happen there uh, in the U.S. Or, or, or in other European countries. So that leads me to the last question, which is, Wojtek, who is the Donald Trump of Poland? <laughs> there is only one Donald Trump. Um, uh, Poland uh, doesn't have its own, but it does have a very enigmatic leader who is, uh, his name is Jarosław Kaczyński, he is a, the leader of the ruling party. He is a, a bit of an enigma. He's not in any position of power. He's not in the government. He's not the president. He has chosen other people for those roles. Um, yet he is the person that controls um, the strategy and the path on which this country is, is going. So, Wojtek, again, just to come back to your footprints in both countries, I understand you grew up in what's called the Alabama part of Pennsylvania. Yes, that's right. I grew up in uh, western Pennsylvania, uh, north of Pittsburgh, where uh, there was a lot of uh, Rust Belt uh, industries when uh, I was growing up there in the 1980s, and uh, as well as a pretty healthy tool and die um, industry in, in, in my uh, area, which was Meadville, Pennsylvania. And did your parents or grandparents or members of your family work in that industry? No, 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 we didn't. But my friends from high school did um, end up going and working uh, for that industry. And and uh, I think perhaps being uh, a bit concerned about some of the changes that, that have happened since uh, I left Pennsylvania and uh, the changes that that globalization is bringing to 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 all of us, and 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 that concern is uh, perhaps feeding what uh, you know the way that that uh, my friends from high school are voting. And do your parents still live there? My parents have moved to Florida, uh, warmer weather, and they've retired. And what do they think of the Law and Justice Party? My parents are. It, it, it's a sort of a reversal for them for what uh, uh, Trump, which they they have every day, uh, a lot of news and a lot of attention on what's happening in in in, in the United States. And and I think as 
they're trying to digest all of that and 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 see what is happening um, there. They 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 look at Poland and and uh, are quite concerned about about uh, w- what is happening here and and whether the democratic model that. Uh, Emerged after communism collapsed, um, is is going to to stay firm. If and it wasn't for the globalist corporatist media, they might not be able to stay in touch with what's going on in Poland. That is certainly true. All right, Wojtek and Kasia, we are definitely going to continue to watch what happens in Poland, and we'll continue to watch whether Trump and the Republicans try to emulate what the Law and Justice Party has done. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Benchmark will be back next week. And until then, you can find us in a lot of places, the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at at Scott Landman. Dan is at at Moss underscore Eco. Wojtek, do you have a Twitter handle or anything that you wanted to give? Yes, uh, at Econ First. And Kasia, you are at? At Kai Klimasinska. Benchmark is produced by Sarah Patterson. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Alec McCabe. Thanks for listening. See you next time. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.